Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. Please be upstanding for the reading of Scripture. Today's reading is um, Luke 15, verse 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all, all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out of citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the parts that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all, the, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, thanks, Emma. And um, you know what a privilege to be able to open this scripture together tonight. Let's just pray before we begin. Father, as we read your scriptures together, we just pray that you bring peace and clarity. And God, that by your word, you would illuminate our lives and our hearts, that we would be with you. 
in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past few weeks, we have dived into intimate moments with Jesus. We've discovered how a meal with him can be transformative. We've looked at the tables of tax collectors, of sinners. But today, we actually go deeper into a tale of two sons. And this parable is one that speaks directly to the heart of human beings, the struggle with freedom and dependence. Today, we don't find ourselves at the table, however, but we're actually hearing an accusation about the table. You see, Jesus was accused of spending too much time with sinners, tax collectors, and so on. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's what it says at the top of Luke 15. This parable is his response. So I want to ask you the question, have you ever connected deeply with a fictional character? This last year, I was reading this book um, called Wizard of Earthsea, and it's by Ursula Le Guin. And the main character of that book, his name's Ged, he's a wizard, and I found that personally I connected with him on both some of his strengths but also his weaknesses. Well, tonight, as we spend time in the scriptures together, there's an opportunity and an invitation for each one of us to have a look at these two characters in the parable, the younger prodigal son and the older brother, and to see which of these two characters you connect with. So let's begin with the younger son, the prodigal son. One of the defining moments One of the defining narratives in our culture at the moment is this thing called self-expression. What do we say? We say things like, you do you, be authentic. You might have heard this before. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it like this, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. More recently, Brené Brown said, Authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. This actually reminds me of the great philosopher duo, Timon and Pumbaa. They say, Hakuna Matata, it means no worries for the rest of your days. Be yourself. Don't worry about what others think. Live your own life. Be authentic. The ultimate goal is freedom, freedom from the constraints of others, freedom to be yourself. And the younger son in our narrative, he's our example. He's the example of someone who goes his own way. He walks out on his own, taking everything that the father has given him, and he goes out to express himself in pursuit of pleasure and life as he sees it in abundance. But we're also going to see that there is a cost to that self-expression. Let's look at Luke 15, 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. We might be well familiar with this story. The son, he takes 
all that the father gives him, his inheritance, and then he goes. Clearly his way was better, otherwise he wouldn't have done it. He wanted to get free, free of the obligations, free of the expectations, and free to do what he wanted to do. And this actually reminds me of another story that might actually be very familiar, and we reference this quite a lot in culture, and it's the story of Adam and Eve, two people who left paradise in search of something better. Let me set the scene for you. Genesis 3 is the Garden of Eden. God created man in his own image, in his image and likeness. This is the Imago Dei. Adam and Eve were like God. They had all that they could desire in the garden. They had God's presence. They had beauty, awe, wonder, more than enough provision. But listen to what Satan says when he enters the garden. This is Genesis 3, verse 5. Satan says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. He's talking about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And listen to what he says next. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. In this story, Adam and Eve, they're tempted by Satan to become the very thing which they already were. They were made in the image and likeness of God. They were already like God. And in the end, due to the fall, they leave paradise in the presence of God, and they have to participate in the hardship of the world. This is the tragedy. They fell for something that they had all along, and you see the first character, the younger son, he's not so far away from Adam and Eve in the garden. Let's think about it. The servants had more than enough food at the table. What does that mean? It means he's extremely wealthy because if times were tough, who would be the first people to miss out? It's the servants. So he's wealthy, he's well-fed, he has land, he has servants. Yet he's tempted by something else. And this son is overconfident in his own judgment. He thinks that his ways are better, better than the ways of his father, that he needs to express himself, live his own life. But tell me this, which person sounds more free? The servant longing for the food out of the trough, or the son feasting on the fattened calf. But you might listen to this and be thinking, I don't really relate. I mean, I don't sleep with prostitutes. Um, I am not a hard partier. And it's completely fair. One of my, <laughs> me neither. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite books and one of my favorite authors is um, St. Augustine, his book, Confessions. Augustine is a fourth century bishop from North Africa. And in his book, Confessions, he tells a story about a pear tree. He's 16 years old when he's um, recounting this. And, and this book is actually his autobiography. He's telling about the grace and mercy of God through his life. 
but looking back at a time in his life where he didn't know God. And he says this, There was a pear tree near our vineyard, laden with fruit, not enticing, either in appearance or in taste. In dead night, after prolonging our pranks in the streets, as was our noxious custom, we malicious young punks steered our way to the tree, shook down its fruit, and carted it off. A huge load we did not want to eat ourselves, but to throw before swine. Or if we ate some of it, that was not our motive. Simply what was not allowed allured us. Simply what was not allowed allured us. What is this story about? Well, Augustine and his friends, um, they're clearly not of good character at this point in time. They come upon a, a pear tree which has loads of fruit. But the fruit itself isn't good. It doesn't taste good, it doesn't look good, but there's just lots of it. And so they take it upon themselves to steal the fruit. Why? Not to eat it, but just because it feels good to do something that's wrong. Augustine and his friends steal the fruit and throw it to the pigs. What does this result in, though? They feel good for a moment, it's fleeting. But in the end, all they feel is emptiness and shame. And this is just one example. You, know, you don't have to be partying, sleeping with prostitutes, because the pursuit of all kinds of pleasure can make us feel empty. And we do this as Christians, we do this as human beings all the time. We indulge in the things that we know are wrong, sometimes because it feels good. And as culture tells us, what we're doing is engaging in our authentic selves, our true selves, doing the thing which feels good to us, sometimes at the expense of others, and sometimes even to the expense of ourselves. In his book, On the Road to St. Augustine, James K.A. Smith says this, the heart's hunger is infinite, which is why it will ultimately be disappointed with anything merely finite. Humans are those strange creatures who can never be fully satisfied by anything created, though that never stops us from trying. We try to find satisfaction in things created. And in doing so, we end up just like the prodigal son, separated from God and wasting the goodness that is right in front of us. But there is one more philosophy that appeals to the prodigal son. I referenced it earlier. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata ain't no passing craze. You know it. It means no worries for the rest of our days. It's a problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. What is it? It's the philosophy of escapism. Let's get away from our problems. Leave the world behind. Be yourself and find freedom by escape. But you can probably tell me, how does that work out for Simba? Do his problems follow him or does he find freedom? Let's just return to our passage in verse 18. What do we see? The son returns home with shame. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Does the son return triumphant? No. He doesn't even return as a son. He's going to his father with the desire to become a servant. Why? He's ashamed. He's ashamed. I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Lost? Unsatisfied? You did something that you always dreamed of. You had this vision of what it was going to feel like. But in the end, when you got it, it actually just didn't do the thing you thought it would. And maybe, just maybe, that's where you're at right now in the trough, wondering, is this all there is? Let me tell you that in Jesus Christ, the one telling this parable, there is good news. Because even though the son carries all of the shame for what he's done, even though his experience fell short, he failed to escape his problems, he's embraced by the father, two arms hugged, both hands close, he's held tight. Most of us would probably simply accept it if we were tolerated, right? We get enough food, a roof over our heads perhaps. But that's not this father. That's not the father. This father gives the son a robe. This son, this father gives the son a ring. He gives him sandals. He throws a feast for him. And that same love, that same joy, that's on offer for you. That's on offer for me. Because what he does in that moment with the ring and the robe and the sandals, he doesn't simply put clothes on him. These are not trinkets to make him look more attractive or more beautiful. This is his identity as a son. Here's the thing. There is no shame in the house of God. When we come to him, he doesn't come and rub our faces in it. He puts on a robe and a ring, a new identity. So what do you do if you carry shame? What do you do if you've done wrong? You've sought out to escape your own problems. Um, you sought your own way, and it cost yourself or it cost others. Or maybe as well, you just didn't hit the mark. You feel like just not quite good enough. There's good news. Because of Jesus, you do not have to carry your burden any longer. You're welcome home, and in him, a new identity can be yours. So that's the story of the younger son, welcomed home. But there are two characters to this story, and now we're going to move to the older son. And maybe, just maybe, whether we like it or not, we'll find that there's actually an older son that can be in all of us. What are some of the views that the older son might have? I'm more learned. I've been around longer. 
it's just and fair for those people who have more talent, perhaps, to be you know, rewarded for it. I'm qualified, I'm able. These are the sorts of things that I know the older son might be thinking. And if we look at the passage, we see this. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, has, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Whew. Do you notice this? The oldest son is a slave in his own household. All these years I've been slaving for you. He worked and he worked and he worked to try and earn that which was already his. Maybe if he was in the 21st century, he'd be the worship leader and an elder. I mean, that's my story. When I reflect on this, I have to say, personally, I don't empathize a whole lot with the younger son, with the prodigal. I grew up in church, have known God as long as I can remember. I went through kids' church. I loved God then. I then went through high school, and the same thing. I was fired up for God, and I didn't have a, um, a come-to-Jesus moment, which used to bother me. I was like, where's my testimony? All these people, they were like on the wrong path and turned around. That's not my story. It didn't happen. I had a steady walk with God. And in school, actually even like toward the end of my years there, when I got my licenses, my friends and I, we used to go and pray and read the Bible together and try and do outreach as best we could. And when I went to uni, I still didn't lose my faith. I was just consistent. My family's Christian. My grandparents' Christian. Their parents before them. So I've grown up as a Christian. And then when I reflect on my story so far, I can see that I'm straight up the older brother. It wasn't meant to be a joke. <laughs> Do you see how the elder brother worked for the father? I've done that. See how he's entitled. I've been that. The elder brother also doesn't get a whole lot of joy from his work. That's been me too. And for me, it seems far less likely, far less likely that I'm going to go wild than it is that I'm going to forget that I am loved and accepted at home in the house of God. When I see the scriptures, I see an elder brother who is insecure in the love that the father has for him. The thing is, God's already given that love. But do you know what? I think this elder brother, he can catch all of us. 
You know, certainly what I've experienced, but you could be here two weeks or two decades. You may just find it creeping in. So you might be wondering, how do I know? How do I know if I'm being like an older brother? Well, as I was reflecting on my life, I came up with a few examples. Um, I hope it's okay to share with you. One of the questions which might be helpful is to say, how's my prayer life? How do I feel about it? Recently, I realized for myself that there wasn't a whole lot of enthusiasm. There wasn't a whole lot of joy in prayer for me. You know, I was doing it, but life was busy. We had a child, doing lots of work. And so something that I was just trying to fit in. And I really felt like I'd lost a lot of the passion that I had for God from my early 20s. And when I was looking, when I look back at this, I think I was like, I need a reset. I should just get a better habit. Like maybe if I can just make myself get up 15 minutes earlier, I can use that time in prayer or something else. I needed some kind of reset. But God had other ideas. And I was at a conference and I actually just felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, start praying. Start praying specifically. And since then, this is only a couple of weeks ago, so relatively new, but started to pray specifically for the things that God has put on my heart and using his scriptures. And I gotta say, it's wild because things, God's answering these prayers. Friends that I'm praying for, who I've known for now years, they're, they're saying to me out of the blue, hey, you know, tell me about your church. Or they're asking about faith. Or I run into someone down the street who I was just thinking about when I was in prayer. It's like, I don't know how that happens, but I know God's at work. And the crazy thing is, the dryness that was there, it's not there anymore. It feels actually way more like a covert mission with God, where I get to pray about something, and then I'm like, just waiting, see when it happens, right? He does all the work. So one way that you might recognize if you're a little bit like the older brother could be if your prayer life is running dry. Another one is around evangelism. Is that a dirty word for you? You might think, hey, our church is full, or our small group's full, I like it how it is. Or, I don't want to push my faith, I don't want to push my beliefs on anyone. I feel awkward and uncomfortable. Or again, it's a duty, I have to do this, but I don't really want to. I've been there too. But when I reflect on evangelism, and I have to say, Alpha has helped me enormously in this way, it's way more like an adventure. Because when someone asks me about my faith, or when I invite someone to Alpha, it's not about me pushing my beliefs on anyone. It's this simple. Hey, come and see Jesus. You know, I get to know the person and what they're like, and I can say, hey, come and see Jesus. See what he's like. Because evangelism is not about shoving my view down someone else's throat. It's actually, I, my own life has been so transformed by the person of Jesus that I get the opportunity to actually share that with someone else. And finally, you might just be straight up judgmental. You're hearing someone get up and preach about being an older brother and you're like, yeah, that sounds about right. And you know, you're probably right too. 
But judgment, it's not a fruit of the Spirit. It puts you outside the house. When the Father, He doesn't want you out there. He wants you in, celebrating. How many celebrations do you know where they're just like, oh, you look like that, or, you know, judging one another? No, celebration. We have a shared cause to celebrate. That's what we get in the Father. So ultimately, how can we recognize if we're being a little bit like an older brother? It's just like this. Look at your response to the things that God is doing. Does that result in joy for you? If the joy is missing, there's no condemnation. It's just an opportunity that God might want to turn things around for you and you can see things with fresh perspective and a new lease on life. And if any of these points, you feel you really connect to that, I just want to encourage you, come back into the house. Where do we see the father in this story? He's not in the house yelling out to the son. He's with the son. He's saying, come inside. He pleads with him. He's not, it's not a casual invitation. So if you feel tonight like you relate to the elder brother, that there's something in your own heart that condemns you or makes you feel distant from God or holds you back from him, you don't have to wait. Maybe you think about your life in the past where you're so on fire for God and it just seems distant that you're happy to accept the current reality. You're like, you know, that was a thing in the past. Hey, the invitation's better than that. God is so much better than that. He's saying, come into the house. Come to me. Don't stay in the field. The Father's coming out to make that invitation to you personally. So we've looked at the younger son, the prodigal, and the older. And I want to ask you this question. Who is it that suffers the most? You might be thinking, I've gone too far. God couldn't actually love me. And you might actually be suffering now. Either from separation from God, the consequences of your actions, some kind of dryness, judgmentalism, any of these things, fill in the blank. But actually what I know is this. It's not the sons who suffer the most. It is not the sons who suffer the most. It's the father. The father. Whatever you're experiencing now, whatever is going on in your life, whichever of these two sons you relate to, it's the father who suffers because he sees you and he knows you. In his life, in this story, one son is missing. The other son is emotionally distant. Neither of them have much relationship with the father at all. And yet he desperately desires that relationship with his sons. Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Day after day, the father is searching the horizon, looking out for his son to return home. And finally, on the day when he sees him, what does he do? He runs, 
He throws his arms around him. There is no dignity in this. He gives himself fully to the act, two hands all the way around embracing him. He returns his status. Then he celebrates. He invites all his friends in. They kill the fattened calf. And here's what I find so incredible about this, is that this isn't just a story. The father in this is not simply a fictional story. The father represents someone who is real and who is good and who is faithful. The father is our heavenly father, God. And it's our father who welcomes us home. He's unwavering in his affections toward you. John 3, 15 begins like this. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Let me close with this. Henry Nouwen was a Dutch Catholic priest, a writer and theologian. And he saw this painting. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son and contemplated it for days. He wrote a book by the same name. And what he said is this, Rembrandt is as much the eldest son of the parable as he is the younger. When, during the last years of his life, he painted both sons in return of the prodigal son, he had lived a life in which neither the lostness of the younger son nor the lostness of the elder was alien to him. Both needed healing and forgiveness. Both needed to come home. Both needed the embrace of a forgiving father. But from the story itself, as well as from Rembrandt's painting, it is clear that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. The father forgives, his love is unconditional, and it is applied to both sons. Today, if you relate to one of these characters, the same applies to you. You have a loving father who welcomes you in with open arms. I wanna pray with two groups of people tonight. Firstly, for the older son or daughter. As I've been speaking tonight, if you've felt something resonate when I talked about the older son, you feel like in some way you connect with this older son. Maybe right now as well, your heart's beating a little bit faster. Or there's something in the back of your mind which is just saying, hey, you should respond here. I wanna pray with you. There's no shame in coming to the Father. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, this story doesn't actually tell us what happens to the elder brother. We don't know whether he comes inside or not. But if that's you tonight, you do have the choice and you can know the end to your story. Do you stay in the field or come into the house? It's not too late. And if that's you and you wanna come into the house, 
in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up just so that I can see who I'm praying for, who I'm standing with tonight. So go ahead. If that's you, just pop your hand straight up. Yeah, I see you. I'm standing with you. That's awesome. Just another moment so I can see who I'm praying for. Awesome. You can just throw your hand down and we're just gonna pray together. Acknowledging the need is the very first step. Next, it's simple, we repent. You can do this in your heart, just you and God. And in this moment, I just want you to say, dear God, I'm sorry. Help me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so good. That you go out to us when we're out in the field, when we bring the judgment, the dryness, the frustrations of our lives, Lord God. Perhaps the jealousy. And Lord, you just say you love us no matter who we are and where we're from. The invitation is to come inside. So Father, I pray that for each person who raised their hand and responded, Lord God, I just pray that you be near in this moment, that you will walk with them back in the house, Lord Jesus, that they will encounter your love and your faithfulness. Lord God, Holy Spirit, come near. Pray this in your name. And the second group I want to pray for is for those who do not yet know Jesus, yet they hear him knocking. When I speak about the prodigal son, the one who ran away, something caught in your imagination and your heart. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and him with me. That's the invitation tonight. The thing that caught in your heart is the Holy Spirit as he knocks on the door. John 3.15 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So if you want to respond to that invitation tonight, again, with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you want to feel and know the loving embrace of the Father and have a new identity as son and daughter, I just invite you to put up your hand so I can pray with you. I'll just hold on for one more moment if that's you. Awesome. Well, it's no one tonight, but if that is you and there's still something going on, and this is for everyone, if you have business with God to do tonight, here's the invitation. Prayer team's gonna be down the front. They have a white lanyard and I'm gonna be down the front as well. We would just love to pray with you, to stand with you, and to invite you to join in what God is doing tonight. So come, let's worship together. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, 
you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.